What were the wise men thinking? Okay, did you start already? Okay. What were the wise men thinking? My goodness gracious. I was, I was sitting here and I was reading uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse number 1. We're going to look at the, the event that takes place here in uh, the wise men coming and uh, we realize, and I know that a lot of our our nativity scenes reflect that the wise men were at the 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 manger. We know that not to be true. If you've studied your Bible much, you know that it was much later. As a matter of fact, when we look in the Scriptures, we see that, that Mary and Joseph were in a house when the wise men appeared. And, and, uh, and I think it's interesting that when you look at the location between Jerusalem and and Bethlehem, it's not but about a six mile distance. I think that brings some importance to when we read the events that take place right here in Matthew, that small amount of distance between Jerusalem, where King Herod meets with the wise men, and King Herod makes the decision not to go down to Bethlehem. It's only six miles. It's not very far. And I think we sometimes neglect to recognize some of these things. Uh, for example, when you think about Nazareth and how far Mary and Joseph had to travel to get to Bethlehem, that's about a 70-mile trip. That's a long trip, okay? Six miles, well, I mean, six miles to us would be a long trip if we had to walk or had to go on a donkey or something. That would be eternity for us, but for them, that was not the big thing. They didn't know anything about cars or vans or trucks and stuff like that. So that was just a normal event sometimes to travel six miles in a day. One of the things, another thing that I think we fail to understand, when Mary and Joseph had to go to Bethlehem in order to be counted for the census, they didn't walk through and show their driver's license or their social security card and them scan it and then them turn around and go back home. We understand from reading this event that takes place in the book of Matthew and also in Luke that it was probably close to a year, a year and a half that Mary and Joseph had to stay in the city of Bethlehem in order for this census to be taken care of. A lot of people don't think about that. They think, as a matter of fact, I was reading an account uh, about uh, some things this last week. And the, the reader that I was reading after, uh, I, I came to the conclusion I couldn't trust much that he said because he didn't, he didn't refer back to Scripture in the fact that he says, well, Mary and Joseph were there for about a week and they turned around and went back to Nazareth. Well, we know that not to be true according to the Scriptures. We know that on the eighth day, according to the Scriptures, they went from Bethlehem to Jerusalem for Jesus to be circumcised in the temple like it was the law had commanded them to do. So we know they were there for that period of time. Then we also know that they went from Jerusalem back into Bethlehem again where they eventually find a place to stay in a house where the wise men come. And then in accordance to the period that the wise men reported to King Herod and when King Herod sent out the decree to kill the babies in that region, not just in the city of Bethlehem, but in that region, which was 
everyone under two years old, we know that God warned Joseph to go to Egypt. We don't know how long he stayed in Egypt. We know that he was raised as a child in Nazareth. But there's these time periods that a lot of, our, a lot of the, uh, the stories that you hear don't include all those things. We as Christians, I believe that's important to us. We should know the facts about the, the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. One of the things I want us to look at this morning is in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And there are a couple of things I want us to highlight here. And uh, so when we read this, to understand exactly what we, uh, God expects us to see out of this. I'm going to ask you this morning to really pay attention. Do your best this morning not to distract. I had a conversation with... Uh, 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 someone, this is many, many years ago, and, and I, I told him, I said, you need to understand. I said, God has laid a message on my heart, and it's my job to deliver that message to everyone sitting in your pews. And listen, if, if you are distracted, or if someone distracts someone else, that's preventing me from doing my job. And I, listen, I want to do the best I can do to deliver to you what this Word is telling us this morning. So, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Follow with me in your Bibles. I hope that you have brought your Bibles this morning. Matthew chapter 2 and verse number 1. It says there, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east, to Jerusalem. So they came from the east of Jerusalem and came this way. I really believe, and this is, this is, there's, I don't have any scripture to back this up. Why, how did these wise men know of these things? When you read in the book of Daniel, you will see that there were wise men in Babylon. Either when they came from the east, I believe that these wise men came from the Babylon area. They were, that was a place that knowledge and wisdom and wise men existed. But that's just my own thoughts. Verse number 2. So they came from the east to Jerusalem and they're asking this question, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star, not a star, his star in the east and are come to worship him. Now when Herod the king had heard these things, watch this. I don't think many people catch this. He, the king, was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. This stirred up the whole city of Jerusalem. These kings have showed up. I want you to know when they came into town, I believe they drew attention to themselves in that their entourage, that's probably not the word, entourage, there we go, the the camels or the donkeys or the ones that were traveling with them, all that it took to travel, all of the servants, these were wise men. The tents that they had carried, I mean, they had to travel to set up overnight, not just one or two nights, but I believe they traveled from a great distance. Babylon, if that's where they came from, is 900 miles away. So when they come into Jerusalem, I want you to know they caught people's attention. So when they came in and the people were wondering what they were doing in the city and they go to the king 
And they asked the king, where is this king that is born, the king of the Jews? Wait, did y'all hear what they asked about? They said there's been a king born. And it troubled him, the king, and it also troubled all of Jerusalem with him. Verse number 4, And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. Now we, if you look that word Christ, the anointed one, or the Messiah, they said the king, understand the king is not a Jew. He went to the Jewish scribes and the, the high priest and he said, listen, where does it say in your Bible that this king is going to be born? He was asking the question. Listen, it was of no surprise to them where this king was going to be born. As a matter of fact, in verse number 6, and it says, uh, in verse number 5, And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the prince of Judah? For out of thee shall, came a, shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Oh, my goodness! It is foretold in the Old Testament that the Christ, the Messiah, the King of Israel was going to be born six miles away. And do you know the Scripture does not record anything about the people in Jerusalem got excited and they, they got a caravan together. That just came to me. They got a caravan of two or three thousand and they went to Bethlehem and they went down onto Bethlehem because to see the king that was born to them, nobody showed up. Nobody was interested. As a matter of fact, even the king, I want you to know this baby did not cause him great fear at all. It's only six miles down the road. He can get there in about a half a day. It was not a big thing. He says, hey guys, Y'all go down there and check it out for me and come back and tell me and maybe I will take some time to go down there and see him. There was no interest in the birth of the king, the savior of the world. And I'm afraid that's what it is also in America today. A man in a red suit and a white beard will draw more attention this Christmas season than the very savior that came into the world to save all men of their sins. No interest, no concern. Verse number 7, Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, he inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. So he's getting information from them. And he sent them to Bethlehem and he said, Go and search diligently for this young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. We know that was not the intent of King Herod, but this is what he told the wise men. And when they had heard the king, they departed and lo, the star. Notice that it uses the word the star. Up in verse number 2, it says his star. So lo, his star, which they saw in the east, went before them. This star is moving. It went before them until it came and it stood over where the young child was. I want you to know this is a supernatural event. That star was moving, they followed it, and it stopped. Marking the place. Their GPS guidance 
It was not a blue dot, I don't believe. I believe it was a star. It was like the star. It was shining bright. And when it stopped, they came in and they... Oh, it's this house right here. I mean, they knew exactly where it was. The star led them. It was not a mistake. They knew exactly where they were supposed to be. Verse number 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. We have finally arrived. They rejoiced. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary's mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Oh, my goodness. They fell down and worshipped him. I want you to know Mary and Joseph... Last week, if you remember, I asked the question, what child is this? My goodness, all these questions. My goodness, we've seen so many things surrounding this child. Shepherds showed up at the birth of our child. What in the world is going on? When we took him to the temple, these several people showed up and said great things about this child that we've had. What kind of child is this? Here wise men have come. A group of wise men have showed up at our front door and when they came in, they bowed down before this baby. Listen, this baby didn't have a crown on his head. This baby didn't have royalty gathered around him. Mary and Joseph was there. What kind of child is this that wise men have come from the east and when they come in the door, they bow down before this little bitty baby? There's something very significant about this child. This is another thing we want to pay attention to. Reading verse 11 again, And when they came into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and they fell down, and they worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I want you to know this is probably a message you've heard before. I've probably got a little twist on it that uh, maybe you have never realized or, or saw before, but they brought and they opened their treasures and presented unto this baby these three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Well, I want you to know I was, I was greatly concerned about why those three gifts and so I'll, I kind of explored what the meaning of these gifts were. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 37 for a second. I'm not going to read all of chapter 37, but I, I won't, I'm going to hit and miss some, some of these scriptures. I would love for you to go home and read the importance of the word gold. Because what we're seeing here in Exodus chapter 37, God has described to Moses and said, Listen, this is how you are to build that inner sanctuary where my presence will be recognized and this is how you are to build it. Mm, excuse me. He gave explicit directions and details on how to build it, how wide to build it, the materials to build it out of, everything because this is where the presence of Almighty God is going to exist inside this temple. Notice in verse number 2, And he overlaid it with pure gold within and without and made a crown of gold uh, to it round about. Verse number 3, And he cast for it four rings of gold. Some of these things are just to hold curtains. 
Okay? You know those rings that you use every now and then you slide the curtains through it and it holds it back from the window? All it was doing is holding a curtain. But they were commanded to make these out of pure gold. Skip down to verse number 4. And he made staves of smitten wood and overlaid them with gold. In other words, the poles that the curtains hung on were made out of wood, but then they were overlaid with pure gold. Verse number 6. He made the mercy seat of pure gold. Verse number 7. And he made two cherubims of gold, beaten out of one piece made he them of the two ends of the mercy seat. So these angels that are on each end of the mercy seat, I'll be honest, if it, this is not the exact dimensions, that the mercy seat that he was referring to is just a little bit smaller than this where they brought the, the blood of the sacrifices, they placed it. And on each end is an angel that comes together. I want Those angels were made of one piece of gold, and it was bit, beaten out of one piece. I have no idea how much those things weighed or what the value of those, those angels would have been even in our market today. But they were beaten out of one piece of gold. Look in verse number 11. And he overlaid it, again, a piece of the furniture, overlaid it with pure gold and made therein a crown of gold round about it. Verse number 13, And he cast it four rings of gold. Verse 15, He made staves of smitten wood and overlaid them with gold. Verse 16, He made the vessels which were upon the table, his dishes and his spoons and his bowls and his covering to cover with all of pure gold. Do I need to go any further? All through, all the way through chapter 37, it's describing how the presence of God is to be, be handled. The presence of God is to be recognized. And I want you to know, the most valuable thing they had in that day was gold. And he says, you are to make it out of pure gold. Listen, when those wise men came to baby Jesus and they bowed down and they worshipped Him, they said, the greatest thing in this world that we can present to you is our treasures of pure gold because there's nothing more valuable in this world than you. I don't know if I've ever recognized... I've known this. I don't know if I've ever taken it into my heart what these wise men recognized when they brought the gifts that they brought. There was nothing more valuable than gold. And I want you to know, anything that I buy my wife this year for Christmas will be of less value than my wife. Now did you hear what I just said? When we present gifts, we're presenting something that is lesser than the one that we are presenting it to because they are of greater value than any gift that we can ever give. I want you to know the gold that they brought to Jesus only represented a minute value of Jesus. You see that? See, the gold was only a poor representation of who Jesus was. Let's look at the second gift that was brought. I just want to reference this right quick. I've got the scripture up there in Psalm 72, verse 10 and 11. One of the things 
one of the things about presenting a gift, and I, I'm going to tell everybody, Susie, what I'm getting you for Christmas. Okay? Five years ago, five years ago, I heard Susie mentioning how she's always getting, every time it rains, I've got, she's got these little old bitty cheap umbrellas, you know, that you push the button and they pop up about this far, and they're about this big around, and she gets under them and she still gets wet. Being the thoughtful husband, I went and spent big money. I bought her a black umbrella that had polka, colored polka dots all over it. I mean, that umbrella stood about this high. I think it was, I forget how many inches across, 50-something inches across. I mean, it was one of them that you take, you know, these golfers carry. I mean, huge umbrella. She loved that umbrella. If you've seen that umbrella, would you just let us know? We've lost that umbrella. But this year for Christmas, I'm getting her another umbrella. I want you to know I have thought it out. I bought two umbrellas already this week. I gave $6 for one of them, and I mean, it's a big umbrella. I gave $15 for another one, but I want you to know I don't like either one of them. I'm still on the search for a pure, a cute umbrella. <laughs> Practical umbrellas are okay with me. She needs a cute umbrella. But watch this. Watch this. I have thought this out. I have put time into the gift that I'm going to buy her. And, and I will tell you, when she opens that umbrella, I hope there's some blingy something hanging down from the inside of that umbrella. You know what I mean. <laughs> My name would be mud if all I got her was an umbrella. Listen though, listen to this. I want you to know I've been thinking this out. What is it I'm going to get her? Because I love her so much, I want to get something. I, I want it to be thought out. I don't want to be just some surprise. I, I'll tell you, I've been there. I, I went to CVS on Christmas Eve one time when I was in the Navy. And I want you to know, they don't have very many gift choices at CVS on Christmas Eve to give your wife. I was ashamed of myself. It was not thought out. You want to know about, about these gifts that Jesus... In Psalm 72 and verse 10, it says, The kings of Tarshish and of the isles shall bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Sheba shall offer gifts. Yea, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. I want you to know, a thousand years before Jesus came, God has already put it in the mind and the heart that when these wise men show up, they're going to bring the greatest gifts. This was just not thought about overnight. This was prepared way in advance. I'm going to let people know how important, how cherished, how royal my son is. I've made a plan to send him, when he gets here, gifts of gold who He is, how important He how valuable He is. Number two, the Bible says that they brought frankincense. Now many of you may not know much about frankincense. Frankincense is about to go extinct in the world today. Frankincense comes from a very small, it's, it's not, I was going to say a tree, but it's more like a bush. It's kind of like... Uh, like a yopon, something similar to that. It doesn't get real tall, it's kind of bushy. But what they do is they will go and they will scratch the surface of the bark of that and the sap oozes out and then the sap hardens and then they take that sap and they harvest it and frankincense 
was a something they used when they offered sacrifices to God. It was also used as medicinal purposes. It was also used in the anointing oil. You've heard to be anointed with oil. It was an oil and there was a recipe. Now some of you may not know this. The recipe is in the Bible for this oil. And do you know God forbids you to make that recipe? Bible, as a matter of fact, it tells you if anyone in Israel makes this same recipe of this anointing oil, they are to be cast out of Israel. That's how important it is. But two of the ingredients of that anointing oil is frankincense. And guess what the other ingredient is? Myrrh. Now, it, just gives, it gives a list of different ones. But two of the ingredients are frankincense and myrrh. What's this. In Leviticus 24 and 7 it says, And thou shalt put pure frankincense upon each row, that it may be on the bread for a memorial, even an offering made by fire unto the Lord. In uh, Leviticus 2 and 1 it says, And when any will offer a meat offering unto the Lord, his offering shall be of a fine flour, and he shall pour oil on it, and put frankincense thereon. So, and, and I, there's a lot of other scriptures that we can use, and some of them are up here, about how every time you were to bring a sacrifice unto the Lord, when you were to burn that sacrifice on the altar, you were to put frankincense on that meat offering. Do you know the only offering that was put on the altar that it was forbidden to put frankincense on was a sin offering. If you sinned and you brought an offering for a sin offering, you were not allowed to put frankincense on that. Frankincense was for a free will offering. Guess what? When those wise men came, it was already pre-planned that we were going to bring frankincense because this baby that is laying in the manger is going to be a free will sacrifice for all of the people of the world. When you burn frankincense, frankincense burns white. Now frankincense is used in a lot of... uh, what is it? Those sticks that they burn? Incense. And it burns, it burns white. That's what frankincense does. So when they, when they would make an offering, when someone would, would receive a bountiful crop and they would bring a tenth of their crop to the altar and the high priest would take part of that and they would present it as a burnt offering, they would add frankincense to it and they would put it on that altar and it would burn and it would burn white and it was a very sweet smell, a sweet fragrance unto the Lord. So when we read that as they come to present this frankincense to Jesus, listen, it was not an accident. You are royalty. You are of great value. You are of greater value than any substance that we have on this earth. You are greater than the gold that we're presenting. And as we bring this frankincense... I don't know if the wise men even knew why they were bringing the frankincense, but the frankincense represented that this baby was going to be a free will offering to the world. And as it burns white for the sins of the world, and He was going to bring righteousness for you and me. Not an accident.
Frankincense, again, is a very rare commodity today. Most of what you and I looked in, I looked online this morning how to, how to buy frankincense. And you can buy it. Essential Oils has a market of frankincense and myrrh. But most of what you find is so diluted down because of the lack of frankincense. So it's not an accident. The third gift that we read about is the gift of myrrh. Again, myrrh, just like frankincense, is harvested the same way. Myrrh is a tree. They go and they cut the bark on the tree. The sap comes out, and then when it hardens, they collect the sap, and that is myrrh. There are several places in the Scripture that we read about myrrh. It has a, it's a medicinal product. It, uh, when you read on when Jesus was on the cross, it says they took wine and they mixed it with myrrh. They would take this, this resin that has been uh, hardened and they take it and they grind it. They grind it. And when they grind it, the aroma of that myrrh, it's also used as a perfume, they ground it and they added it to the wine which would cause Jesus to not feel the effects of the pain that they were inflicting on Him. If you'll remember when you read the Scriptures, when they offered Jesus this wine, knowing that it would dull the pain, He refused it because He was suffering for the sins of the world on that cross. Another place we read in John chapter 19, Joseph of Arimathea, he is the one that came and he took Pilate's body, or he took, he asked permission from Pilate to take Jesus' body off the cross. In verse 39 of John 19, it says, And there came also Nicodemus, which at first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and alloys, about a hundred pounds. Then they took Jesus' body and they wound it in linen clothes with the spices as the manner of the Jews to be, the buried, to be buried. Do you remember last week when I said when the shepherds were told that Jesus would be born in a manger and He would be what? Wrapped in swaddling clothes? Here Jesus is about to be put in the tomb and He is taking the gift that was brought to the wise men, the myrrh, and they're applying it to His body and they are wrapping Him in swaddling clothes just like Jesus came into this world. Wrapped in swaddling clothes, He's going out of this world wrapped in myrrh. The only way that you can use myrrh for it to be effective is for you to first grind it. You can, take, you can take that resin of myrrh and you can hold it up to your nose and try to smell it and you, you can get a hint of it. But let me tell you what happens. You take that myrrh, well, I, let's do it in East Texas. Take it and put it on the concrete, hit it with a hammer. Whew. Oh, you can begin to smell the aroma of that myrrh. Let me tell you what that, when they brought myrrh to Jesus and He laid there, let me tell you what, I don't think the wise men knew. But God the Father was saying, listen, my son is going to be crushed for your sins. Did you hear that? The only way that Jesus could be effective when He come to this earth, had Jesus came and lived a life and, and died from old age, 
no effect on your life and my life, but for Him to come as a sacrifice and He was crushed for your sins and my sins and He paid that price. Listen, when the wise men came, understand, it was pronouncing to the world that this is the greatest gift that this world ever saw. I've done a survey this morning in my Sunday school class. I've done a survey. I asked, these, I asked them these four questions. Number one, do you expect to receive any gifts this year at Christmas? Do you expect to receive any gifts? If your answer is yes, would you raise your hand? Okay. That was the majority. We did have some no's in our Sunday school class this morning, but the majority of them expect to receive gifts this year for Christmas. Number two, from who do you expect to receive gifts from? The answer, the majority of the ones in our class said, well, they expect it to receive gifts from family, their spouse, friends, loved ones. I think that's, is, that's a pretty good answer. Would you agree? Alright. Number three, who will you be getting gifts for? Again, uh, loved ones, friends, that's who we're going to buy gifts for. Number four, to whom will you spend the most money on their gifts and why? For the most part, the gifts that you're going to spend the most money on, and this is kind of a, a conclusion, are the ones that you love the most. I think, I'll use Susie again, I think Susie might get her feelings hurt if the gift I bought for our male lady is going to be more expensive than, one, than the one I buy for her. I, I think we understand that. Now, watch this. This is the point that I want to make this morning. I am not asking you this morning what you're getting for getting Jesus for Christmas. You know, so many sermons this, this year are going to be this, that uh, what are you going to get Jesus for Christmas? Are you going to give of yourself to Jesus? I want us to see something this morning. When the wise men came and presented these gifts, we first of all see that the greatest gift or the greatest expensive thing on this earth at that time was gold. And those wise men came and said, listen, what's in that manger is greater than the gold we present. The frankincense represented that he was coming to give himself. The myrrh represented that he not only was giving himself, but he was giving his life. And then when we go through the Scriptures and you look at the remaining of these Scriptures in, in John 4 and 10, Romans 5, Acts 8, and Romans 6.23, this is what it says. Every one of those reference that Jesus is the gift. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the what? The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I want you to see this right now. If you've not paid attention so far, listen to this. God sent Jesus down here 
And he gave Jesus that gift to you. Okay, some of you didn't get the connection yet. God sent Jesus this great gift for you. Now, when we start looking at my little survey, God, when He looked down on this world, He says, I want to give this gift, and I'm going to give it to the ones that I love the most. I'm going to give it to the ones that I can have a relationship with. I'm going to give this. The greatest gift in all the world has been given to you. The greatest gift that could ever be purchased or bought has been given to you. Here it is. And the scripture tells us that the world as a whole rejects the gift that was given to you and the reason that God has given you the gift is because He loves you the most. The most expensive gift I'm going to buy, I'm going to buy it for Susie because I love her the most. And I, I don't mix words with that. That's why I'm going to spend the most on her because I love her the most. I have a relation. And God wants that for you. Did, I hope we get that connection. God loves you just like you are. He loves you in your sin. He loves you where you're at. He loves you. He's given you this perfect gift. And He says, listen, if you will just simply receive this gift, it will change your life. The perfect gift. And when we look at the wise men, and when they came, I've been saying manger, when they came to the house and they presented this gift to Jesus, those gifts represent every single thing that God has given to you. He's given to you royalty. He has given to you His life. He has given to you His death. The only reason He came was because of you. God says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. I knew you before you were ever born. I knew you before you was ever in the womb. I'm sending my Son for you. I hope that every person in this room has accepted that free gift of Jesus. That's my prayer this morning, is that you've accepted that free gift. And then once you get the gift, I hope that you've cherished it. I hope that you have used it. I hope you've not taken it and placed it in the top of the closet. But you've given that, been given that gift and you have applied it to your life And the Bible tells us your life will be as joy unspeakable and full of glory. You will have a peace that passes all understanding. In other words, if you take this gift and apply it to your life. Now listen, I'm not talking about just accepting it. I'm talking about applying that gift to your life. You will have a peace that you cannot explain to anyone around you. Because that is the perfect gift for you and me. Let's stand together. Father, thank You for Jesus. (laughs) I think sometimes we missed it when the common saying in this season is Jesus is the reason for the season. 
God, you sent Jesus during this season for us. We're the reason for the season because you loved us. Not that we should glorify ourselves, but God, you loved us so much. That's why Jesus came and gave his life. God, help us recognize that this morning. God, if there's one here that's never received that free gift, I pray this morning they'll not leave without you. Father, this morning, if we received that gift a long time ago, I pray that you have become the Lord of our life, not just a portion of our life, but we've given you our all back. Thank you so much for this Christmas event in your Scripture that tells us of how great the gift of Jesus truly is. We just want to give you this time of invitation. Don't know how your Holy Spirit has spoken to any of us, but God, I just pray that you'll be pleased with our decision. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you need to respond,